0: We were all aware that we were dinosaurs. In fact, people told us, well, you're idiots, you're going into a profession, everything's going to be done by computers by 1980.
1: Welcome to Words and Pictures, the show about the narrative arts. I'm your host, S.W. Concer. and today I'm joined once again by a prolific author, artist, director, teacher, and animation writer, She's animated characters for Disney and Warner Brothers, and her books include Animated Performance and Prepare to Board. This is part two of a two-part conversation. Part one is available online on our free archive page, kboo.fm slash Pictures. Nancy Beeman, welcome back to Words and Pictures.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: So, Nancy... Earlier, we were talking about your training at California Institute of the Arts, and after graduation, you came back East and worked at Xander's Animation Parlor, and then, in an interesting way, you wound up at Disney.
0: I was in New York City, and Xander's had uh, layoffs, and I had heard that Dan Haskett was animating for a studio in California. Like me, he didn't like California very much, and I said to him, "Do you think I could do that?" <laughs> sure, you can certainly contact Rick Reiner. Tell him I sent you. And Rick Reiner was animating Winnie the Pooh in A Day for Eeyore for Disney. And Dan and I both worked on it. You can tell our scenes because they're animated with uh, ones and twos. A lot of anything on ones is Dan's, and mine with ones and two. I had quite a bit of um, Tigger and Piglet and Rabbit. And we were both working for New York and mailing the scenes in. And this is something, I think we were probably the first American animators to do that, working through FedEx and so on. And I uh, continued to work on Reinhardt Productions, uh, many Disney projects for Epcot with Donald Duck, one of which I found online last year. I wish I could find the others, but one of them was 16 millimeter print was uploaded. Anyway, it was a ball working on these things. But I didn't go on staff with Disney. I was doing toy design for them from 1982. So I worked for two different divisions and one subcontractor before finally getting hired by Features in 1993. So although I've worked for Disney pretty consistently since 1982, I always called it the greatest studio I never worked for until I finally got hired on staff in 93 to work on Goofy Movie. So I didn't go directly in. Would have been nice, but it didn't happen.
1: Let's talk about your book, Animated Performance. Animation, of course, means bringing characters to life. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the subtitle of your book. And one thing you spend a lot of time on in the book is walk cycles. Tell us a little bit about why walk cycles are really important to animation.
0: You're traditionally, how you test a character's design. But I have also maintained that there is no such thing as a standard walk There were no such things as standard mouths. Even the same character will not say the line the same way, depending on how they feel. You don't talk the same way if you've just gotten out of bed or if you met your best friend. You will react differently. You'll move differently. So everything works out of story, including a walk cycle.
1: Well, if you watch Disney's Snow White carefully, you'll see that every one of the seven dwarfs has a distinct walking style,
0: Every one of them is different. That's the same body shape, exactly the same construction.
1: Yeah. But it's not just their legs. It's
0: their head, their shoulders, their hips. It's how they lead. It's what they lead with as well. Doc leads with his chest, grumpy with his nose. (laughs) Generally speaking, that is still a very worthy picture to watch for a lot of different things. It's a very well-constructed film and what you just said about the seven identical constructions turning into individual characters. That was what made the film work because the film's story, everybody knew the ending. Why did people cry? Because you learned to like these characters because you had to have characters. The, The traditional story of Snow White has no characters. Little men are just little men. The princess is a princess. The witch wants to kill her. She does. She tries three times, by the way. And this is not done very wisely was not done in the disney film because it would make snow white look rather stupid but in the original story it had a religious significance and there were some definitely strange ways the queen tried to kill her uh too tight corset was one of them you couldn't possibly put that in a motion picture but by using just the apple and the way it's staged and the way everybody cares for the princess and she also she is a charming character People cried when she died, even though they knew the ending of the story. Now, Pinocchio was a good deal less familiar to audiences when the movie came out. Not as many Americans had read that story in 1940. And it is a gripping film. It is a one of the most nearly perfect animated films ever made, I think. Also one of the most beautiful. It's uh, It's got nothing that I would have cut. That is pretty impressive.
1: Some people considered it too dark.
0: It's very well done. If you've read the original story of Pinocchio, Del Toro is closer to the book than Disney is, but he also is completely rewriting it because Bambi and Pinocchio were written by newsmen as installments. Yeah. They were serialized
1: uh, and they are a hot mess.
0: And they're a hot mess because Felix Salton kills off a squirrel twice, same squirrel, and has no idea what to do with the rabbit in Pinocchio characters are introduced and they're usually killed in the next in the same chapter and the character of Pinocchio is a real he's a nasty piece of work in every sense of the word but there is a gem of goodness in the story that the Disney story men took that this is an inanimate object that comes to life they made Pinocchio an innocent In the Del Toro movie, he is still innocent, but he's closer to the horribly destructive character in the original. So both are great portrayals of Pinocchio, the character, superior to all the others I've seen. Totally different interpretations of the rest of the story because Collodi didn't have a continuing story. So you can build on that, give it a construction, which it never had in the original.
1: One of the chapters in your book is called is sex necessary and includes such topics as masculine and feminine character acting?
0: Yeah, that's funny because I was good and angry about someone who said that women, it's hard to animate women because their features aren't very expressive. Well, how can anybody say that? Have you never seen an actress before? Have you never watched a movie before? And there's a great quote from George, um, uh, the author of Game of Thrones, George R. about when asked, How do you get such strong female characters into your stories? He said, I've always considered women to be people. And he's right. There is absolutely nothing in acting that is sexually specific. There are certain movements that can indicate specific sex. But as the Art Babbitt interview shows, he mentions a woman who walks very much like a man, shifting all the way from side to side. She might be pregnant. She might have something wrong with her back. Men can move with a hip-swinging action. It is not sex-specific. So there's no particular acting or action that is inherently male or female. Obviously, the voices might be. But I didn't like the stereotypical thing that, well, we can't animate female characters, they can't act. That's nonsense. Just go with the character and their emotion. That's more important than their sex. You're going to be conveying the emotion and the acting. So really animation is not about reality, it's much better. And it. I don't think it should be imitating live action. That's one reason I wrote that book. It was getting too close to it. You are looking for entertainment. You are looking for something that somebody other than your mother wants to look at. Both of those are quotes from Frank Thomas. Would anyone other than mother like to see this? <laughs> so you want to do something that is interesting. And unlike any other form of art, it has to be projected, it has to be seen by an audience to be complete. That's all film, not just animation. You can't hang an animated film on the wall and stare at it. <laughs> you, you have to have it in a theater with an audience. It plays best with an audience. And also live action, it really doesn't do as well. I'm a big fan of Laurel and Hardy. And when I saw Sons of the Desert restored in a beautiful theater with a 300 people in the audience falling. It's like I'd never seen this movie before. That's the way it's meant to be seen. The Bugs Bunny shorts playing with the orchestra accompaniment are totally different than when they're on television.
1: Yeah, you're right. The audience is, is a participant, is a character.
0: Well, in, the, in Bambi, the audience is definitely a character in the film but they participate in the other films. We, we are taken into confidence by characters. When Bugs looks sideways out of his eyes. He's actually looking down. And this was in a new book called uh, Anvil's Mallets and Dynamite, a history of Warner Brothers. Great book, do read it. This is a young man who writes, uh, he's, a, he's a critic, not an animator, has totally different takes on these films than an animation person would. And I thought it was very well-written. And he says that basically they're looking down at you because they're on a big screen and you're in a theater. It's not the same on television or on a video screen.
1: You're listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Conser, And today we're bringing you part two of a two-part conversation with author, artist, and animation writer Nancy Beeman. She's animated characters for Disney and Warner Brothers, and her books include Animated Performance, And prepare to board. So you learned a lot about Disney history when you were a 21 year old person on the East Coast and you were talking to uh, folks like Art Babbitt and uh, Selby Kelly. A lot more from
0: Selby than from Art Babbitt and from a totally different perspective. By the way, she was apparently dating Babbitt during the strike. So she told me things about that strike that aren't in any book.
1: Yeah, this was the Disney strike of 1941. 1941, 1941. And uh, we had a guest on the show some time back by the name of Jake Friedman. And he authored a book called The Disney Revolt, The Great Labor War of Animation's Golden Age. But he was really concerned with just original documents. There's one problem uh,
0: with that. Most people didn't talk about it until they were very old. Yes. We're no longer working because they were that concerned. A lot of people didn't talk until much later. So I know he only went with documents from the forties, but that is only half the story. So I didn't write the book. I can tell you there's only one other book that even discusses it. And that's Tom Cito's drawing the line, which I gave him the title for. And it's a history of unionization in animation. I think it's a terrific book and you can see a different perspective when tom went to people who, uh, much later interviews interviews done in the 1970s and 80s so both books are useful yeah uh but kelly so- told me stuff that you know i couldn't believe actually happened but apparently it did
1: so uh both walt kelly who went on to create the pogo comic and uh margaret selby who married walt and uh became uh, Selby Kelly. She was the one-time president of the Screen Cartoonists Guild.
0: She certainly was. She and her first husband, Roger Daly, were union organizers. And she's the one who told me they had to sleep on the bedroom floor because people would be possibly shooting guns through their window. That it was very dangerous, a terrible time. Selby was... The best description I can tell you about the treatment of the women in the studio Selby told me that if a woman from ink and paint walked into the animation building for any reason, she was fired. But the men could go into ink and paint anytime they wanted. And I said, did you meet Kelly at the studio? She goes, no. He would watch me walking to the ink and paint building out of the animation building window every day. But we did not meet until 1968 at Chuck oh. Jones's studio. I said, well, you didn't oh, meet it at a studio party. She goes, no without a proper introduction i said what about the commissary she said on my salary i could not afford to eat there you look at those old prices oh buck 50 for a sandwich that's not in today's dollars so a dollar 50 in 1939 would be something like 25 dollars today so selby told me a lot about what it was like and she went to work for chuck jones she had her own studio fascinating woman
1: You know, Nowadays, we're hearing more about the women at Walt Disney, uh, just amazing talents like uh, Mary Blair, the concept artist. But uh, back in the 1940s, there was an infamous Disney form letter that would be sent out to any woman who might apply for an animation position. Mm -hmm. And it read in part, women do not do any of their creative work in connection with preparing the cartoons for the screen, as that work is performed entirely by young men. The only work open to women consists of tracing the characters on clear celluloid sheets with India ink and filling in the tracings on the reverse side with paint according to directions.
0: Yes, when I met Lillian Friedman Astor, she was rediscovered in the 1980s. She was the very first female animator. I am sorry, I do not believe there was anyone earlier than her. And she did a pencil test for the Max Fleischer studio. A Betty Boop. That sent, uh, Fleischer had a female cameraman, and so the camera woman was in cahoots with uh, Astor, or Friedman, as she was known then. And uh, Dave Fleischer stood up and said, "Hire that guy." He was told, "It's a girl." This is in Seamus Colhane's Talking Animals and Other People. She was hired at, I believe, twenty five dollars a week. The men were getting a hundred. She said, I had to support my husband, so I took it. And that's more than Selby Kelly got at Disney's, by the way. The other thing that Lillian Astor did when I met her, she showed me that letter. She said, when Fleischer went to Florida to get away from the union, I applied to Disney. This is I still have the insulting letter they sent me, and here it is. Hers did not have Snow White on it. I guess it was from 39, but it was the same text and I said to her things are better now she goes are they just in that tone of voice wow and if you look at Lillian's animation there's a scene in a Fleischer cartoon called the educated fish where our little boy fish is playing hooky he goes away from fish school and he a worm takes out a makeup. This is all Friedman's animation. She takes out a compact, puts on some makeup, says, hey, big boy, puts the hook in the back of his jacket. And there's a 70 foot scene of this terrified fish swimming up, down, all around, up and down in a huge vertical pan. This is better technically than the Disney films of the time, the short films. Superb acting. She's, she's adequately, she's describing the terror of this character and beautiful use of perspective that wasn't good enough apparently. So I can see why she was angry. And so she retired in 39, which is a great loss to animation. She was a very good animator. So it was not a happy hunting grounds for women. It was no queens of animation. We were Cinderella's and most of us, most of them didn't get invited to the ball. Now I met Retta Scott. I met a lot of these women. I met Retta Scott, Tisa David, but only meeting in some cases. But I did ask retta a couple of questions. I asked her, being young and stupid, whether Eric Larson had helped her on any of her animation in Bambi. And she said, well, I was in his unit, but no, that's my animation. It was Frank Thomas who recommended her to animate the dogs that are going to kill Felene. So, so much for women doing sweet, cute little things. And Reda Scott was a fabulous story artist. I've seen her boards for an unproduced sequence in Fantasia for the Grand Canyon Suite. I wish they'd made it. and Boy, did she do a good job. And she was very nice when I met her. She was polite, didn't tell me I was a jerk for asking that question. So I always say animation should be about what's on the screen. It's not what you are, but what you do. But historically, that has not been the case. It's very sad because there's no reason to not hire anyone for talent in animation then or now because you never see the animator unless you're down on screen with them like Max Fleischer say. There was no reason to ever discriminate, but people did. It was more discriminatory than live action because a man traditionally animated the women in the Disney films.
1: Well, when you talked to Selby Kelly, who was Margaret Selby at the time, she told you that a lot of the grievances that led to the Disney strike of 1941 came from the women in the ink and paint department. There were a couple of things that happened. One was that um there was supposedly some creative accounting coming out of Snow White, where the profit-sharing never happened. Yeah, she um,
0: absolutely confirmed that. She said that was definitely one of the causes. But there were others that are not mentioned in that book.
1: And she says that uh, there was an exclusive penthouse club on the roof of the animation building that was men only. Yes. Uh, had murals of naked women painted by Freddie Moore. And only the supervisors and directors were allowed up there.
0: There's a funny thing about what happened to those that building. It's still there uh there's a sequel to this story there's a book called animatrix by heidi goodell heidi was uh an assistant when i was a trainee at disney i was a trainee there in 78 uh, and heidi and uh, leslie margolin who was a classmate of mine who was hired at disney the first cal arts graduate to be hired at disney from the character animation program first female one anyway uh leslie and heidi never got out of the assistance pool And they actually contacted the National Organization of Women to say this club is restricted. No women are allowed. And uh, rather than admit women, the club was closed. Now, that is in Heidi's book. Now, I do not know what's happened to it since. I do hope it's open to everyone now. I believe that the murals in the club still exist in the old Disney studio lot. So I wasn't there, but you can look it up in Heidi's book. It's called Animatrix. I wanted to
1: ask a little bit more about Art Babbitt because he was one of the first animation greats that you met and he had such a big influence on you. When Art Babbitt was still at Disney before he and Disney parted ways after the strike in 1941, he was credited as inventing the so-called character Bible for the animation industry. Now, he didn't invent the goofy character, but he Analyzed who Goofy was deep down. He shaped his personality, his movement, the way he interacted with other characters.
0: Yeah, he did something quite remarkable. He did. He's told me he wrote two character analyses. He wrote one for Mister Magoo as well, and that has not survived. The, the Goofy one has survived. I was just looking at the original today, and unfortunately, like people of his time, he uses something that would not be that has been censored from the Disney books that have reprinted it an unfortunate remark, but other than that, it's a wonderful analysis of a character that hadn't existed yet. Now, if you want to see how this works, watch two Disney films that are made in the same year. The first is Mickey's Polo Team, which by the way, went out at the head of every print of Chaplin's Modern Times. There were two Chaplin features that went out with Disney short films. I was the one who found that out. Even Disney didn't know that. So this is uh, the one where Charlie is uh, a pantomime horse but you see that the mickey mouse team includes a character called the goof and that's the original design of goofy And he doesn't have anything to do in the film except ride a funny looking horse that looks a little like him other than that he doesn't do anything in that same year lonesome ghosts appears with art babbitt animating goofy and moving day i think now moving day is the one that comes first moving day is a revelation I couldn't believe that was the first time Goofy had ever been animated like that, because it's like he's been around for years. And that's made the same year as Mickey's Polo Team. So run those two films in order to see what Babbitt's analysis of the goof did for that character. And Goofy is, in animation terms, he's a good actor. Unlike the other Disney characters, his voice is not too painful to listen to. I don't say I don't like the Donald voice. I do. And miraculously, they made a really good feature with Mickey, Donald, and Goofy called Mickey's Three Musketeers in Australia, which is wonderful. But I always thought that it was very difficult to listen to the Mickey and Donald voice because they were so forced. Goofy is a good actor. He has the most normal sounding voice. And he's also rather sweet. He knows he's stupid. But he has a good heart. And he's kind. And that's why we could make the Goofy movie feature. And there's this fabulous line where he's yelling, Max is yelling, I want you to get out of my life. I want my own life. And Goofy says, I know you want your own life. I just want to be a part of it. That's all. You can't give that line to Mickey or Donald. It worked with Bill Farmer doing this great performance of Jim Magon's script.
1: The original Goofy voice was from an animator, Pinto Goldwig.
0: Oh, he was actually a story man. And before that, he'd been a circus clown. They had some really wild backgrounds in that studio. I was told there were more crazy things behind the camera there. Teehee was a professional magician and, tap- and dancer in vaudeville before he went into cartooning. And Elmer Plummer, another one of our teachers, well, he storyboards the roustabout scenes in Dumbo because he'd actually been a circus roustabout. He'd actually done that. So he knew exactly how to hammer in the pegs. And he used to tell us, oh, it's colder than a well digger's ass in Idaho, because he probably dug wells in Idaho, and he now was talking about himself. Uh, Jack Hanna was a prize fighter, an amateur prize fighter. People did not go out for careers in cartooning until Disney started hiring, really, in the, in the 30s. He went from all different other backgrounds, which I think helped make those films good. Now, the art school graduates, which would include people like Mary Blair, Frank Thomas, Chuck Jones, they come in, they were actually like the second generation of animators. And they're bringing the artistic training in, which, when blended with the totally whack backgrounds of the older people, makes some pretty amazing films. So maybe it's not a good thing to just live animation for your entire life. You have to do something else. In my case, I was lucky. My hobby of silent comedy proved to be a big help in animation. And I also really love drawing animals and researching different kinds of animal species and in this case living with a couple of these fur balls who have been annoying and distracting us the thing is if you only concentrate on looking at other animated films you're going to have a pretty truncated set of references that's a brad bird quote right there but you got to have a life before you can create an illusion of it so it helps to have a another interest well, you
1: were inspired by the animation masters of the last century. Now you get to inspire the next generation of artists.
0: Well, Ken O'Connor, the layout teacher, was very happy that I went into teaching. Uh, my father was horrified. He'd been a college professor, <laughs> but he loved teaching. He really did. And I I enjoyed it, too. There's something about working with students that reminded me of my days at Xander's, where you had a very small studio where people had to do almost everything if you were asked to do something, you put down what you're doing, you fixed what needed fixing. And it was very much like that atmosphere. And at the at its best, it turned out, I think, films that were at least as good, if not better, than what I was seeing coming from commercial studios. They're definitely from original, original uh, viewpoints, different cultures, different outlooks, and different ages. It's really fun.
1: Well, you've been so generous with your time. I should mention your most recent book. Since you have your furry companions, Sam E. and Louie Bear, you have a book out, and it's based on your pandemic-imposed feline staycation. It's called How I Finally Got to Live a Cat's Life, a cartoon diary.
0: It started out as to amuse some very frightened friends and family. I originally started with the cats to amuse a little boy who missed them. I had moved to Toronto right before the pandemic, thinking, I'm going to go out and do things. No, you're not. <laughs> so I didn't know what else to do. I started drawing cartoons, and people got to expect them. And then I started to turn into a diary. So I decided to put the book out. And to be truthful, people were not interested in hearing about the pandemic. And I thought, well, I'm doing it anyway. There are relatively few histories of it, and it's like reading a dispatch from Atlantis right now. Things have changed so much, and we're still getting sick. I have several people I know who just came down with the COVID, and I don't take it for granted that it's gone, and the book is a useful history. It's also, I think, funny, but what do I know?
1: You've been listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Concer. And my guest today has been author, artist, director, teacher, and animation writer, Nancy Beeman. Nancy, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much. And if anyone is interested in seeing the films or the books that I've been talking about, they're on my website, which is nancybeeman.com. Not difficult to find. Uh, and can you spell
1: that for the listeners?
0: It's dot ncom I also have, so far, five posts, five articles on the Animation World Network. It's called Animated Characters. So if you go to the Animation World Network, their magazine section or blog section, you should find Animated Characters there, and that will have the entire Art Babbitt interview in two parts, along with my Jack Xander stories and a very funny one about a body in a window seat, and an upcoming one will be about a very funny incident in a London studio, which was better than anything in our movie. So the uh, film short history of Indians in Canada is on that side, along with your feet's too big and two other films that I produced, which are not generally been shown.
1: Well, on that note, thanks again. And thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web. Part one of this conversation is available online on our free archive page, kboo.fm slash Pictures. Part two will be posted later today. And be sure to follow us on social media, at wordsandpicture.